This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz here with me. It's been a while, so this will be an episode. We'll look at Michigan basketball. There will be a football one this week as well of a kind of a similar tone but basically uh an off-season check-in I know you know April is is kind of a flurry because there's there's draft stuff there's uh obviously there was a spring game but then there's also transfer portal situations things like that so uh kind of the dust has settled a little bit to to my knowledge anyone entering the transfer portal now will not be ruled eligible for next year which kind of siphons off how many people are actually entering the transfer portal players who who have those decisions to make have probably already made them and so we'll take a look at at Michigan basketball some of the decisions that were made some of the decisions you know kind of look at the NBA draft uh that that have yet to be made and also where Michigan stacks up not just uh with it within itself but you know some of the key questions they have to answer this offseason as well as maybe a, a peek at where they stack up in the entire country. So uh, obviously, Steve, the, the big news and tons of coverage of this over at the michiganinsider.com, michigan.247sports.com, but, but Hunter Dickinson uh, returning, not just returning in general, but not even taking a look at the NBA draft. And, and I, you know, I wrote a little bit about he unpacked that decision. I wrote a little bit about what into the, what went into that. Um, I, I can't, I kind of respect his perspective. I mean, certainly, you know, I'm of the belief, especially since you, it doesn't really cost you anything to check out the draft. But you know, he's kind of saying he doesn't want to go in and, and be scrutinized as a as what he feels as an is an incomplete prospect. You know, I think I think he still feels like he needs to grow his game more. And certainly, I'm not going to be naive. The NIL helps, and him being kind of one foot in, one foot out might might not just you know, I might, might hurt him with the NIL. I don't think it would hurt him a ton, especially if he branded his return, but you know, he did that all last year. I think, I think he, I think he knows where he stands and, and, you know, hearing him not just on, on our podcast, you know, the Michigan basketball insider podcast an episode ago, but, you know, he's appearing on national podcasts and stuff and, and really being kind of a voice for college basketball right now. And, and, you know, speaking out on, NIL and maybe some of the discrepancies between schools. Lots, lots of interesting stuff to get into. But, but sticking to the basketball court, Steve. I guess what, what, how would you describe the impact of him returning and and returning in a way where he he isn't, you know, half in or isn't like constantly looking for his shoulder at the NBA, but really kind of getting his, you know, sticking his head down and saying it's time to work, it's time to be better. And it's time to to have a really successful junior season at Michigan. I agree. I think it's actually smart on his part to not go the NBA route. I think last year, not just to leave like fully, but even to go 
through the combine stuff because because wasn't it last year that he yeah his his game did get kind of heavily criticized and scrutinized and I think that was what pushed him to come back in the first place last year I kind of like his approach of because there there are he's a great player he's Michigan's best player he should be a preseason All-American next year Uh, but there are areas in his game particularly on the defensive end I think where you know I think he needs to show, show some improvement to kind of break the mold is like, you know, I think a lot of the talk with him has been that he's not a today's NBA yeah. center. Right. And so I think there are, yeah, there's some things could be conditioning, you know, just defensive stuff. I think where he, you know, probably is going to want to look at improving and, and cause on the offensive side of the ball, I mean, I think he, I think he's a guy that could have some success in the league, but uh, you know, to avoid almost maybe like from his standpoint an over analysis at this, you know, at this juncture in his career by going to the combine, I think it makes a lot of sense. Cause you know, he's been around the college game enough now where I think he's, he's well aware of what he needs to do uh, both to improve, to help Michigan next year and to move on to the next level. So uh, I think it's a pretty uh, savvy move on his part. And yeah, you can't understate it from Michigan standpoint, particularly with Diabate getting the invite to the combine and, and his status being completely up in the air. Uh, if both those guys had been gone, you know, there'd been a immense amount of pressure on Michigan to find some kind of help in the post. I don't know if you can just bank on Terrace Reed walking in and being a stud or anything like that necessarily. So, yeah, I mean, he does look big, good, but yeah, I agree. no, very good. Yeah. But you just, you know, we didn't expect Dickinson to walk in and play the way he did as a freshman, right? I mean, those guys, you know, you can't put all your chips into a true freshman coming in you know, unless you're talking like a top five, top 10, you know, one of the elite guys, you know, coming in and doing something, but, but yeah, no big, obviously huge for Michigan to get him back. And it's, what's going to keep them afloat on a lot of the preseason polls, I think heading into the season, regardless of uh, who else departs, who else comes in that type of stuff. Right. Well, and I think one thing it quietly did, and we'll talk about the Michigan's transfer edition in, in just a moment, but, you know, coming back all in that, that can be a selling point to Michigan. I mean, we saw, I mean, I think he even said on, on, you know, the Michigan in- basketball insider just a couple days ago, you know, they call him the closer <laughs> around the team. Cause you know, when recruits or transfers come in, uh, he's, he's the guy that takes them out to, to chop house or, or shows them around Ann Arbor and stuff. And so um, very, very good opportunity for him. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm with you. I think, I think he made a lot of improvements offensively last season. Obviously the three point shot was something that, that was brought up, but, but really his mid range, he was a 40% shooter on mid range looks. Uh, and, and he was only making you know, one or two of those kind of shots per game as a freshman last year, he was uh, over 50%. He was making, you know, three or four mid mid range shots a game. And so uh, just being a little bit more versatile. So he was actually able to improve offensively, despite having much less openings by the basket. I think as a freshman, this isn't to take away from his game, but I think, I think having Isaiah Livers, having Franz Wagner, you know, having the array of shooters around him, I think, I think he got some freebie buckets. Uh, and, and, you know, he certainly created those freebie buckets, but I think at the same time last season, offensively was very impressive just in his ability to um, diversify his game and score over doubles or through double teams. Yeah, last season he shot 54% on mid-range looks with 124 makes in, I don't know, 30-something 30, 30 
games. So, um, yeah, I thought I, I think he actually did make a lot, a lot of improvements offensively. I'm sure scouts might say, well, can he shoot better from three or can he shoot better from the mid range? Because I think I think Joel Embiid is a and and um, Jokic are two guys that that Dickinson has compared himself to at least stylistically. Um, and I think both of those guys much better defenders. I think so. I think that's probably the next step. And he's he. I don't know everything that Dickinson was going through, uh, you know, in terms of his decision making process. But he's probably like, well, I know my defense isn't NBA ready, so let me work on that. You know, become a shot blocker because quite you know he he quietly got better as a shot blocker last season. I think over the last fifteen games, he averaged around two point four blocks per game. But but still, this that's not something he's known for and I think he feels like that's his next step and and certainly a lot of improvements to be made but he also you know Michigan can really help him out by continuing to improve around him I think there were some games last year where it it really just felt like Hunter had to score 25 30 points if Michigan wanted to win and it worked it, it wasn't you know the, uh, this awful strategy they certainly won a lot of games that way but I think I think uh, if if I'm Michigan, you know, I think I think getting the most that you can out of Hunter Dickinson is 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 a big step, but I also think you have to improve elsewhere. Steve, we're not going to run through every player, but certainly the non NBA draft guys, because we'll talk about the NBA draft guys in a moment, and not Jalen Llewellyn, the Princeton graduate transfer, because we'll we'll have a separate thing about him. But in terms of the rest of the team, guys like. Kobe Bufkin, guys like Terrence Williams, um, you know, Isaiah Barnes, Will Cheddar are two guys who redshirted last season, didn't even play. You know, there's and obviously the the incoming freshman as well. Is there anyone you're really circling as they're gonna have an opportunity and this 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 needs to be a major offseason for them for Michigan to be successful? Is there anyone you're putting putting on the spot in that sense? I mean, obviously Michigan with John Sanderson has had a lot of year-to-year transformations in the past. Is there anyone you're you're really identifying as as yeah? This is this this is a big opportunity for him, and him having a big off season would really change, uh, I guess, the the outlook of Michigan's season. Uh, doesn't it kind of have to be Kobe Bufkin? I mean, natural score at that two spot. Can probably maybe bump him up to the three. I mean, depending, right? I mean, I don't know. Defensively, maybe not. But um, thought he was a guy that kind of came into his own a little bit on the defensive end, at least was more consistent. I mean, not a great defender yet, but like you could see flashes. Uh, but really, <clears throat> what's the one of the biggest weaknesses for Michigan, at least last season, I'm trying to think maybe a couple seasons ago, um, you know, somebody that can just get to the basket from the perimeter off the dribble. And Buffkin, I think, is a guy that, you know, has shown he can shoot, but really that slasher type, I think that Michigan was lacking, especially last year. I suppose Franz was a pretty solid slasher too. Um, but Buffkin, to me, is really, I think, that guy for sure. That, that if he take, he's sort of that, yeah, every, every year we talk about a, if X takes the next step, you know, I think he's that kind of guy. Uh, also, I guess you could, you, you know, depending on whether or not he comes back, but sort of in that same regard uh, with Caleb Houston, because that was one area. So Houston, good defender, 
in my opinion, but a lot more one dimensional on the offensive end than I anticipated he would be um, after seeing what he did in high school, you know, has really just became a, a spot up shooter and maybe showed a little bit of improvement getting into the lane at the end of the year, but that's one area where I think he's got, uh, you know, see if he shows the comp or the NBA people, anything in that regard. But, but those two guys, because I think they're the ones that are capable of getting into the lane and maybe taking a little bit of the attention off Hunter Dickinson, you know, those are kind of the two guys with, with Buffkin kind of being the one to me, uh, Grand Rapids native of seeing him a lot is a guy I think is capable of, really kind of taking a next step and, and being a dangerous player for them. Yeah, those are those are two pretty good answers. The, I'll, I'll go in a different direction, though, be, just because I I really love his game, and I think he's someone that um, is really closer than maybe his stats show is, is Terrence Williams, the second. He's uh, – I every time I, like, kind of, like, go back and look at Michigan stats or, like, go look at some of the box scores, I'm like, man, he, he really – was valuable for Michigan last season. I mean, in so, in so many ways, and, and I think you can make an argument that he probably should have played more. And so I think the big question will be what, what does, what does he need to do behind the scenes to, to earn more playing time? And I, I, you know, he certainly played a lot. I'm not suggesting that he's, you know, completely undervalued or anything, but I think, I think a big thing is the conditioning, you know, that's something that he he's talked about. Uh, he's worked on in, you know, last off season, he stayed at Mich- he stayed in Ann Arbor working in Michigan's facilities longer than any other player, you know, just working on his conditioning and allowing him to play a little bit of that three position. You know, Michigan, there, there's some positional fluidity, uh, but there obviously last year, there was a lot of guys who could play at the four and, and Terrence was one of them, but he wasn't, he wasn't Musa. He wasn't um, Caleb. And, and at times last season, he wasn't Brandon John. So I think eventually he, he proved that he was, uh, more effective, especially offensively, but I also really like his defense too. I love the way he plays and the the tenacity he plays with. It feels like I don't know what Michigan, obviously Caleb Houston and Musa Diabate will have some say in who's who's in the starting lineup for Michigan next season. But I I could see Terrence Williams if he isn't a starter. I could see him. I mean, I think a goal for him should be to win six Big Ten Six Man of the Year. Because I think he can be that valuable. I think he's not a slasher like Kobe Bufkin is, but but he can score at all three levels. He is a good three point shooter. He can stretch the floor a little bit. Um, I mean, last season he ended up being one of Michigan's best three point shooters. He he only made twenty, but it was on thirty eight percent shooting and and uh, including fifty percent in conference games, twelve for twenty four. So I think I think he's someone that that can that can be extremely valuable. For Michigan uh you know I think the big thing you mentioned if Caleb Houston doesn't come back and and I my my current assumption would be that he is going to come back but but if he doesn't you know Michigan there's going to be some minutes at the three and so the big thing will be is can can Terrence be someone who can consistently play long stretches of the game at the three with some of the wings that there are in the big ten um He's naturally a four, I, I would say personally, but but I think you know, can he mold himself into a three this off season? Because boy, it seemed seemed like every time he was given extended run, I think back to that Ohio State game. Uh, you know, I think the the game against Nebraska. Uh, you know, there, there were 
probably a couple other ones, but those are obviously the ones where he really went off it. But it seemed like every time he got extended run, he was, he was adding value to the Wolverines. So yeah, those are, those are, I mean, that's, that's, those are probably the, the natural answers, right? The two, you know, Kobe Bufkin and Caleb Houston, the McDonald's all Americans at the two and the three. And then Terrence Williams, uh, uh, who'll be a junior too. I mean, that, that's something that I think is, is quietly Michigan has to be aware of is that they, other than Jalen Llewellyn, they don't have a lot of seniors. I mean, Terrence is the, the experienced guy in, and so I think, I think him continuing to, to mold and transform his game. This, this will be, this will be a big off season opportunity for him. As far as, departures and arrivals Michigan did take on one transfer I I I guess they could take on another but that they'd have to have some sort of assurance about an NBA draft declare staying in the draft before they could do that in terms of scholarship limits but Jalen Llewellyn grad transfer from Princeton when he first committed I was kind of thinking that he would play an Eli Brooks type of role where maybe he's the the starter at the two and and can be the uh, a you know high minute backup at the one, you know for Frankie Collins and and Doug McDaniel's. But then Frankie entered the transfer portal the next day. Uh, all reports from our site indicate that they're not related. But at the same time, suddenly Llewellyn is Michigan's point guard. It's the third straight year that their their tentative starting point guard is a grad transfer. And and so Steve, I. I Lots to like about his game. He shot 38% from three last year. Um, you know, he, the reason that he's available is that the Ivy League didn't have college sports his junior year, so he didn't play on a team. So, so um, you know, he, I, it's not like he has this long injury history or anything like that. Uh, former top 100 recruit, actually. So that's not not too common. A, a Ivy League grad transfer as a former top 100 recruit, but but you know, he chose. He chose Princeton over over a wealth of offers. I, I know Virginia was involved. I know uh, his dad played for Wake Forest, so they were involved. Uh, there were there were a few teams that, that were interested in him. But your thoughts on on his addition and the the I guess value he's twenty four seven ranks him as the number forty five transfer right now. But but you know they gave him a ninety rating, so this is someone that should be able to step in and contribute. Your thoughts? Man, a four-star ranked as the 45th transfer in the country is uh, crazy. A lot of names in there. Um, yeah, his he's, he's already one of the most important players on their roster now uh, in a matter of like a week. So, you know, definitely some pressure on him. But I guess, you know, if you're also, you know, huge opportunity too, a bigger opportunity than maybe what, he had before. So I think we talked a little bit before we got on. I think the biggest area for him is to improve on the defensive end of the floor. It's kind of something all three, like now Llewellyn being the third one in a row, but between Mike Smith, Devontae Jones, and now Llewellyn, um, you know, I think the, the, the first two guys struggled mightily on the defensive end at the beginning of their respective seasons. Uh, Jones seemed to get uh, better. Both, well, both of them got better as the season wore on, you know, but I'd argue Llewellyn probably a little bit further behind than both of those guys on the defensive end. Um, so I think that's going to be probably the biggest challenge 
you know, it's nice to put some points on the board, but if you're yielding more points on the defensive end, uh, those points aren't as valuable. So yeah, I can't, (laughs) he's all of a sudden, like I said, huge, uh, just massive. I do like him though. I think his upside is maybe the biggest of these three, you know, we going to kind of probably end up grouping these three guys together. Uh, but of, of Smith Jones and now Llewellyn, I think Llewellyn probably the one with the highest ceiling though. Uh, you know, so Michigan does have that, but yeah, now where do you go behind him? Yeah. I think that's going to be a, an interesting question for Michigan this off season and uh, interested to see where they go with it. Yeah. I think, I think backcourt, it was already going to be maybe the weak point of Michigan with Eli Brooks and Devonte Jones departing, but, but, you know, they needed a guy like Llewellyn. I think he's, I think he's a great pickup, you know, in terms of uh, everything I've read about him, kind of the interviews I've seen of him. I think he's, he's going to be a great culture fit at Michigan. I think he adds a senior experience to a team that does not have a scholarship senior. You know, he's, he's been on some pretty good Princeton teams too. You know, it's not, not to disparage Mike Smith or Columbia, but you know, Princeton was, was the best team in the Ivy league last season. They were fringe top 100, uh, you know, and all the different Ken Palm type ratings and things like that. So it's, I, I, I think there's a chance that his stats or his numbers translate a little bit better than, than Mike Smith's did. Um, and then I also think he brings a very interesting angle to his game. I don't know how much uh, Steve, you've been able to watch his game, but I watched, I don't know, maybe, highlights from like seven or eight of his games last season. I'm not making the comparison between the two players, but I see a similar style of play to Jordan Poole, you know, in terms of the, the jab steps, the shot fakes. You know, he, he might've done more shot fakes last season than Michigan's entire team did. You know, that's just not Michigan's game. And he's, he's a creator. Uh, you know, he was creating a lot of his shots. He doesn't, he doesn't need to be assisted on his three pointers or, and certainly not his, his stuff by the now where by the rim, but where things get interesting is in the Big Ten. You don't get away with as many you know uh, step back mid range shots that you do in the Ivy League. There's there's going to be a six seven guy who's going to block you more often in the Big Ten. So I think I think some of his offensive game will have to be reined in, but but he's a he's a really good offensive player. If he's running at the one, I I do have some questions about you know his ability to create, but. I, I got to think over the course of the summer, he'll get really comfortable kind of with some two man game with Hunter Dickinson. Then also you know, making sure that he can find guys on the wing defense will be a major question mark though. I see here are some numbers out of 35 Ivy league full-time starters last season. He was 30th in steal rate, which is really low for a guard, you know, especially one who's as quick and athletic as he is. Um, and then he was 27th in block rate, which is, not surprising given his size and height, but, but at the same time, you're looking at a guy who just is not, not a, not known as a defensive stopper. I think, I think he has the capability to have that reputation, but at Princeton, he did not. And Princeton's entire team was very offensive focused. It was kind of, it resembled, maybe they're the Ivy league equivalent of Iowa where they would score in bunches. I think they had a top 20 uh, adjusted to strength of opponent offense last season, but, you know, defensively uh, left some room to be desired. So I think Llewellyn brings a lot offensively. I think he has the chance to, to help Michigan 
can run faster if they want to. I don't know. I guess it kind of depends on who returns and everything and, and you know, what, what this next group is comfortable with. But I, you know, I think that was, that was kind of what people liked about Frankie Collins was he could push the tempo a little bit. He could push the pace. I think Llewellyn has a lot of similar stuff and, and I think he can create and I think he'll draw attention. If there was one concern about Frankie Collins being Michigan's future point guard is that I don't think people would give him a lot of respect on the perimeter. And I don't think that they would necessarily view him as someone who's going to go off for 25 points. You know, I don't know. I don't know if Llewellyn will score 25 points, but he's shown that he has the capability to. And so I think he'll, he'll get a lot of respect on the perimeter, maybe create some space for other players. But yeah, I think defensively he's, and Jawan Howard has shown this. If you don't defend, if you're not a willing defender, you're not going to play. And that's, it's pretty simple. Um, So that'll, that will be very interesting to, to hear kind of how he develops because I, my, my assumption is he probably knows that's the, where the biggest adjustment will be. We're going to take a quick break. On the other side, we'll talk about the two NBA draft declarees, kind of the decisions facing them, as well as where we would rank Michigan, uh, maybe in the Big Ten and, and kind of ballpark where they'd rank in the country. You're listening to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back. Thanks for waiting. So, Steve, there is some ambiguity about Michigan's roster. Caleb Houston, Musa Diabate both declared for the NBA draft while retaining their college eligibility. I, I don't think it's lost on them that they're not they're not surefire first round picks or or even projected first round picks. Musa Diabate got invited to the combine. I I don't know if Caleb Houston is an alternate or awaiting an invitation, but but Musa, we'll start with him. Uh, your thoughts on on his decision to declare and maybe handicapping the the odds that yeah you know, we don't know the odds but but handicapping the situation of his potential return to Michigan uh, based on what you've been able to see so far. Uh, so I think anybody in his position and Caleb Houston's position there's is there really any reason not to declare to test the waters? No, right? I don't think I mean, so. Yeah, at least as a freshman. You know, uh, so yeah, I mean, totally the right decision to, to, it's a learning experience at worst, you know, so with Musa, I mean, he just feels like a classic guy. I don't know if he'd get into the first round or not, um, but feels like a classic guy that an NBA team is going to draft somewhere 
in the draft because of his his skill set is very tantalizing, right? Um, he was effective for Michigan on a relatively consistent basis while still looking like a completely raw basketball player. Uh, I think that speaks more to his potential than anything. I compared him to a baby deer, uh, you know, kind of the way, like, is he some, like he has it, but he's just kind of not sure of himself totally, especially on the offensive end. I think he's, there's some confidence on the defensive end, you know, with his length and, and his athleticism, but on the offensive end, like, far from a finished product, but that was still enough for him to, to show in flashes last year that he could really be an effective player. So, you know, I, not just going off the fact that he was invited to the combine. I just, I think he's, I don't think he'll return in my opinion. That's again, this strictly opinion, but you know, and I can see why not a guy that I think would be, even if he was drafted, is he a guy that is on the NBA roster next year? I mean, maybe depending on who drafts him, but you know, could be a guy season or two in the G League or whatever it's called now, uh, get some seasoning, get some some more high-level coaching, make some money, and then kind of work his way up. You know, that I that's what my anticipation for him because, yeah, he's still got a ways to go on the offensive end against NBA defenders, um, particularly under the basket, I think, when you're talking about NBA defenders because that, that was one area where I think he never really – Ah, just inconsistent, right? Uh, that's a lot of the baby deer stuff to me was just, it's like he wasn't quite sure what decision to make fast enough. So, yeah, but a guy that I don't think will be back for Michigan next year, if I had to guess, I just, I think that somebody's going to want to take a shot on him. I think somebody's going to tell him they're going to want to take a shot on him. And I think he thinks he's worth taking a shot on him and worth worth exploring. Yeah. I mean, that's 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 a very fair take I think and and I think the big the questions I have that that you know will determine this is the NBA they they the common line is that it's not a development league but it's becoming one teams are saying no we're you know like like Detroit's G League team is in Detroit like it's not hard it's not like this death sentence now to like send a guy to the G League for a couple months and and develop I mean even Jordan Poole last season was in the G League it wasn't even his his rookie year and he was in the G league and, and look at him now. And so I think, I think teams actually do view it a little bit more like a legitimate, like triple a, like designate for assignment type thing. And so I think teams are a little bit more comfortable drafting players who um, maybe, maybe is, aren't quite ready week one. Now I think the, the thing is when you are drafting a guy who you are expecting to develop in the G league, depending on they're only drafting you if they're fairly confident that you can make it to the league. You know, like I think Isaiah Liverts was a good example. Like the Pistons drafted him knowing that he wasn't going to be on the roster right away, partly because of his injury, but also, you know, the rehab and that, that whole process, but feeling fairly confident that he was someone that was going to eventually make it. So I think the question for teams is, okay, there's some value in getting Musa Diabate now instead of, say he blows up next year and, and is you know all-conference player and suddenly you have to pay 10 times as much to get him. There's some value in that, but also are, do you want to draft him or do you want to draft someone who has scored 16 points in a game? And maybe, maybe they're athletically limited, but at least you know that the floor is higher. 
So I think that would be a question teams have to decide is, is okay. You know, after the first like 42 ish picks, that's when you start seeing guys who are drafted and signed to two way contracts. Um, you know, is, is in our teams drafting in that zone comfortable with what they've seen from Musa Diabate so far? Cause there is, there is work and development to be done. And I think a big thing will be how Musa does in those individual workouts with teams, you know, cause I think, I think coaches and, and, you know, assistant coaches and, and GMs, you know, if they see you in your building, they can kind of gauge where you're at more than necessarily your highlight film would gauge. And they can also gauge what kind of willing learner, or how coachable you are and things like that. So I think, I think that will be, the interesting question is I think if you start hearing rumblings that such and such team is enamored with him, then yeah, I think, I I think you could probably pencil him as, as staying in the NBA draft because I I think, um, I think he is the kind of prospect that a team can fall in love with. I think DJ Wilson, you know, obviously he was a little bit more polished when he was in the draft declaration, but the, the bucks loved him a lot more than the teams picking 18, 19 and 20, but they, they, they really felt like they had something with him. And I think, um, you know, Jordan Poole with the Golden State Warriors is another one where I don't think everyone was looking at him as a first round prospect, but the Warriors were, they saw what they saw, what they needed to see from him in workouts. And, and you don't have to convince all 30 teams that you're a draftable player, but you just have to convince one or, or two, <laughs> you know, and, and, and you might be safe now with Musa. I don't know. I don't know where his head is at. This is where, you know, Michigan used to do press conferences for these players and apparently that those don't happen anymore, but you know, Moose, I don't know where he's at in terms of, is he comfortable being a second round pick and having to climb his way into the, into the league? Or does he, a lot of guys say they want to be a a first round pick or, or to have a multi-year guaranteed deal, which is kind of the top 40 picks. Is he someone that wants that before he goes, or is he comfortable developing and, and trying to make it through the G league uh, to get to the, to the NBA. So that, that I don't know. I'm, I'm with you. I'm kind of leaning that he does not come back and that's, that's not talking to him. That's not talking to scouts. That's, that's just my, my general opinion based on covering a few of these. I mean, it feels like, feels like every year Michigan's got a couple of these guys. So it's, it's, um, it's going to be interesting, but I think a combine invite is indicative that teams are definitely intrigued. They're not inviting all 300 players who declared for the draft, right? They're only, they're only inviting, I think the top 70 to 90 that they're, that are on their radars. So I think how he does there will, will be indicative of, of where things stand with him. On the other side of the coin, I, I, Caleb Houston strikes me as someone who I'm fairly confident will return. I think if he returned, I think there'd be a, even if Musa did return, I think Caleb would be the guy that people are looking at as maybe the number two scorer on the team or as someone who's going to get 12 to 15 points per game. And I think, I think he, you know, there's certainly some, some limit. Like, I don't think he has the, the quite as high a ceiling as Musa Diabate has, but I think his ability to shoot and to score <clears throat> and is a little bit more positional. You know, he could play a little bit along the wing, I think makes him a very, uh, intriguing candidate as a breakout player as a sophomore. You know, the Big Ten had a bunch of them this past year. Keegan Murray, Jonathan Davis, Jaden Ivey, guys who were who were solid as freshmen, if maybe a little inconsistent, 
And then as sophomores with maybe a little bit uh, more usage or more opportunities to be the go-to scorer really blossom. I think Caleb Houston has more of that blossom potential at Michigan. I, I think Musa has more NBA blossom potential, but I think Caleb, if I'm in his camp, I'm saying, okay, look at all these big 10 players who came back for their sophomore years and then just really, really found themselves the light, the proverbial light turned on whatever, whatever analogy you want to use. And they became, you know, consistent scorers. Cause, cause Caleb Houston had multiple 20 point games down the stretch last season. You know, there was a moment there where he was, he was looking like a really lethal scorer, but then he also had 13 games where he scored fewer than seven points. I mean, that, that stat is amazing to me. He had his, he had 13 games where he scored 13 or more points and he had 13 games where he scored seven or fewer points. And to me, that's someone whose draft stock can really increase if he can cut down on those 13 low scoring games. You know, if he can be, if he can have the exact same high scoring games, but maybe be, be a little bit more consistent on his off shooting nights, you know, that's, that's someone that's going to climb up draft boards because the shooting is great. I think being a, a six foot eight shooter, you know, ask Dunk, Duncan Robinson, how lucrative that can be uh, being a six foot eight shooter, being able to defend, I think the way that he defended in the second half of the season, I, I think that there's, it's, it's, I, I hope I'm explaining this right, but I think his NBA ceiling might be a little lower than Musa Diabate's, but I think his sophomore year blossom potential is so high. I think that he leans toward coming back and, and trying to make the most of that. Cause if he, if he is like a 15 point per game scorer at Michigan, I really think teams are going to look at him as a top 40 draft pick. I really do. Um, I know Michigan fans even are, are, are skeptical of Caleb Houston in, in certain ways, but, but I think he's got that sophomore breakout potential. Steve, what do you think of this decision? I actually didn't ask you before the show. Are you, are you on the same page as me where I think there's a compelling reason to come back or, or do you also think that he's going to go like Musa Diabate does and, and, and take his shot now? I 1000% agree with you. And your, your reasoning is pretty much the same as mine. I think uh, lower ceiling at the next level, but as a guy, yeah, you know, he still did average 10 points a game this year for Michigan. I just went back and looked Keegan Murray only averaged like seven points a game last year. Uh, well, like last year, like his freshman year. Well, I think uh, for Houston, I- for Houston, Iowa. I think only 11 true freshmen at Michigan in the past 15 years have averaged that much. And I, I, at one point I tweeted out the list and it's, he's scoring the same amount of points that, you know, a lot of guys who ended up being first round picks were scoring. Right. And I think the bigger issue for, for Houston was his inconsistency. You know, it's like he was, yeah, like you said, he was either there or he wasn't. Uh, But six, eight, two Oh five. Keegan Murray, 6'8", 225. I mean, I'm not saying that he would would replicate what Murray did from freshman to sophomore season, but there are some similarities, size, play style. You know, I think where Murray really seemed to take a big leap, his perimeter shooting got a lot better, but also that mid-range stuff. And that's where I think Houston was kind of lacking last year. So it'll be interesting, regardless of what decision he makes, if he, if he, where he kind of grows his game on the offensive end in that regard, because we know when he's shooting, that when he's shooting, you know, he's one of those guys capable of kind of going on a hot streak. So 
you know, I think Houston has the, yeah, has the ability to, to take a big sophomore leap, you know, 10 to 15, isn't even really that big a leap. I mean, he, maybe he could be a 17 or 18 point a game type guy. I don't know. Um, you'd think he'd have opportunities next season to do that. So I think, yeah, the difference, like you said, I think Diabate is, it's much more of a, like you said, a stash pick if you're an NBA team. Whereas with Houston, I don't know, you know, as far as like what the, what the rationale would be behind. Teams might want to see him make those leaps. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good way to put it because with Diabate, like I said, you can, you saw those leaps, but just in flashes to like the tantalizing stuff, we were like, okay, like this guy just needs to figure himself out and he's going to be dangerous with Houston. It was more, I think the questions were a little more prominent as far as, you know, college versus pro like that, that, like I said, that inconsistency, he, he may be a guy that makes it in the league just because I think he gives it at all, his all on the defensive end and looked like an asset in a lot of ways there. Um, and because he, he can be a good outside shooter, but, but I just think there's too much else, especially on the offensive end that he needs to improve on and where he needs to really go as a guy who was recruited and kind of viewed as like a semi polished, nobody's polished coming into college necessarily, but like, you know, I think his season is, as you know, 10 points a game, all that. I think people, he quietly kind of did that, but I also can see where he kind of wasn't really what, maybe didn't do it the way we thought he would uh, coming into Ann Arbor, right? Uh, inconsistency was not something I would have foreseen with him. I actually thought he was going to be one of more of the, one of the more safer bets as just as far as his day-to-day play. So <clears throat> I think that's, that would probably be the big question mark if you're any team in the NBA. And, and yeah, I think it's something that's something you can work through at the college level. You know, you amp up the level of play in the NBA and that's something where, you know, it might make or break you really quickly. So I agree. I think he'll be back. And I, I do. I think he's, there's obviously a possibility there for him to for him to take a significant step forward next year. Yeah, just rounding out this, this quick draft conversation. One thing that will be interesting about both of them, both Diabate and Houston, they were former five-star recruits. And, and they played in a lot of, like, international tournaments. I, you know, I know last year Caleb Houston was Canada's leading scorer. Uh, in the in the U19 World Cup and so it's I think it was the U19 World Cup anyway some FIBA event where he was playing for Team Canada I remember he was we were watching him and like he he was he did the same kind of thing that he did at Michigan where he would you, know, you might you might not view him as someone who was kind of leading the charge for Canada but then you look at I think the the one thing that'll be interesting I know I know a lot of listeners are like well these guys aren't even on mock draft boards they're not even in the top 100 for some of these big boards and and that i say yeah that's a that's a fair claim but i think scouts might be more aware of these guys than a typical freshman who declares you because of their recruiting profile because they've played in some of these international events before i think i think that you you might be surprised that that you know scouts is maybe not but I think that there's a chance that scouts are a little bit more. There's more than just what they've done at Michigan, I guess is what how I would say it. They both played for very elite high school basketball programs. They both played, um, you know, in the in the AAU circuits and as well as the international tournaments. And so um, there might be a little bit more awareness than 
say Joe Schmo draft analyst who only watches who mainly watches college basketball is thinking. All right, Steve, with that, we've gone through some of the our thoughts on on the roster, you know, what Hunter Dickinson means, the the impact of the uh, you know, of transfers of, of some of the key draft decisions. And then we've also looked at potential breakout players. There's certainly a freshman class that, that we didn't really dive into uh, that much today, but, but it's a top 10 recruiting class. Yeah, I think Terrace Reed and, and Jet Howard, especially look like guys who figure to at least be in the rotation. Um, you know, I think they're both top 40 recruits, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, you know, they're, they're two guys who I think will, will play, a role in Michigan next season. So with everything that we've discussed and everything you, you believe about next year's Michigan basketball team, roughly where, you know, top five, top 10, top 15, or, or top 25, where would you rank this Michigan team? And, and kind of knowing what the rest of the big 10, they, there's certainly still draft decisions, right. But, but knowing what the rest of the big 10 has, you know, where, where would you put this team in the, in the quote way too early power rankings and, and those type of lists right now. Are the big tens interesting, uh, you know, cause if he, let's say Houston, let's just say that they do what we said they would do. Let's say Diavate leaves Houston comes back. I mean, the only other team, I mean, how much like a lot of these teams are going to look a lot different next year, but Michigan, would look a different, but not like radically different. Right. I mean, in maybe if trace Jackson Davis comes back, maybe Indiana's like another team that brings most of their returning production back, but you look at Purdue loses Stefanovic, they lose Trevion Williams. Uh, uh, and Ivy, <laughs> the uh, Wisconsin loses Brad Davison. Finally, uh, along with Johnny Davis, we talked about Iowa a little bit. Michigan State's lost a couple guys in the portal uh, along with their guys that are moving on. I think, I don't think, is it Gabe Brown's not coming back, right? Marcus Bingham. Um, Ohio State loses EJ Liddell and Malik Branham. So, you know, you bring, all of a sudden Michigan brings Hunter Dickinson back. Well, that goes, Illinois loses everybody. Just about, except for uh, if Hawkins leaves which looks like a possibility based on his recent comments. I mean, they lose almost everybody, almost all their major producers from that team. So, you know, Michigan probably got to think they're one of the two or three best teams preseason in the big 10. Right. I mean, especially if Houston comes back. So nationally, I don't know as much about what's going on. I think North Carolina brings everybody back. They'll probably be like preseason number one or two. Um, I'm sure Kentucky's up there. But nationally, not I don't know as much, but for, within the Big Ten, it feels like it'd kind of be there for the taking for Michigan a little bit, at least on paper, to begin the season, right? So, um, you know, I know what Purdue probably brings Edie back, uh, but I don't know what else they have surrounding him anymore. You know, I, losing Ivy and, and Travion Williams are, are two massive pieces. So Michigan easily an upper echelon team in the Big Ten and, and possibly top number one or number two preseason, which would probably put them somewhere in the top, I don't know, 12 or 13 in the country. So um, yeah, oddly enough, like despite all this turnover and, you know, just all this dramatics in the last couple of weeks with the roster, like they still should be one of the better teams in the conference in the country. Yeah. I think 
I think quietly for all the rumors that there were to not to only lose Frankie Collins and, and Brandon Johns to the portal, I think is, is quietly a win. And I think to have Dickinson back and, and not even like thinking about anything that's that I hope I, I assume Michigan fans are breathing a sigh of relief about that. I, I think most people had kind of gotten the picture that he would be coming back, but it, it, it's not always a done deal, but for him to, to be all in, I think that's, and, and, you know, basically, I don't know how many people went and read or, or heard his recent comments, both on, on our podcast, but also Michigan Athletics podcast. It's, you know, it sounds like he's he's just really serious about being good right now. It's not, you know, it's not like he's certainly the NIL plays a factor, but I think he's he's really hungry to have this be his team, you know, to be a leader and to not just be a leader in vocally, but also in in work ethic. I think, um, yeah, I think he you know, it's worth remembering he is pretty close with Luca Garza. And I think he realizing the NIL opportunities and maybe realizing his NBA draft stock isn't quite as, um, quite as high as, as maybe he would have hoped at this time. I think he's, he's really leaning into the, well, let me see what kind of legacy I can leave at Michigan. And so I think, I think that, that really helps. I think that to me, that, that ensures they're going to be a top, 25 team as of right now and so i think the the rest they can keep climbing you know if guys like terrence williams or kobe buff can step up if a guy like caleb houston or musa diabate come back uh you know if jalen llewellyn turns out to be a hit i'm not sold on them being top 10 just yet you know i think there there are some serious questions uh that they still have to answer just just in terms of play in terms of depth at certain positions uh, you know, you're, you're really counting on a lot from freshmen if you're saying that they're going to be a top five team right now. And you're counting on certain players making leaps that they, that they haven't made just yet. They're capable of it, but they haven't made them, they haven't proven that they've made them just yet. And so I think, think I'm still, I'm going to keep them out of the top five. I'd, I'd put them in the like 10 to 15 range though. And as far as the big 10, I'm with you. It's, it's, it seemed like every, top eight player in the big 10 other than Hunter Dickinson is gone. Like who's, who's the second best returning player in the big 10 right now. And I asked that a little bit rhetorically, but, but there, it, I don't think that there's, who would it be though? Yeah. <laughs> like it's, if Tyson there's, Walker there's, would, if Tyson Walker would shoot the ball, could it be him? You know, it's like, I, I... well, and, and he? Yeah, he's probably the the other like unstoppable force, and sure, so sure. Uh, um, and there'll be new players who emerge, right? We weren't talking about Jaden Ivy and Keegan Murray being top five picks this time a year ago, so I you know I, I don't think it's and Trace Jackson Davis is probably pretty good too. I probably didn't give him enough credit just now, but um, yeah, it's it's not a league. You know, a lot of the superstars of the league are are gone, and so I do think it's it's open now. You know. Illinois, does Terrence Shannon, you know, the, some of the other transfers that they picked up, some of the freshmen they picked up in, in what ended up being the Big Ten's number one recruiting class, you know, do they, do they remold or rebuild or reload, whatever the, whatever the word is. And so, uh, you know, it feel, feels like Michigan State and Purdue and Wisconsin always find a way to be, you know, the top half of the Big Ten. It doesn't seem like they, they always seem to find someone new that can help them. Um, you know, Indiana returns a ton. Are they a team that makes makes a step, or or maybe does an outside team, a team that wasn't 
a factor a season ago. Maryland's got a new coach. Minnesota, the dust seems to be settling a little bit in terms of their coaching change and roster turnover. You know, are there, is there uh, Ohio State quietly had a couple guys who who were injured a lot last season. Do they make a make an impact in the post Liddell era? So I think there's teams that that I still f- feel like that's like a team that a, a league that's going to have seven or eight Big Ten teams. But I think in terms of who's at the top, I think Michigan's got to go into this off season and say no reason it can't be can't be Michigan. You know, really, I you know there's there's work to be done, but I think Michigan is going to have a one of the best players in the Big Ten and Hunter Dickinson. I think they're going to have one of the better wing players in the big 10. If, if it's, if Caleb Houston returns and, and then that backcourt with Llewellyn and, and Buffkin and, and Jet Howard, that's got to rank closer to the top of the big 10. Some of it remains to be seen. We don't know who's going to pr- produce what all three are probably wild cards in terms of year two impact, but, but could be, could be near the top. And so then suddenly you put together a, a starting five or a, a rotation of seven, seven or eight, I suppose. Stacks up as a, as a pretty darn good team. So we'll see what they do. Obviously, we will cover <laughs> all the changes that could happen to the Michigan basketball team over at the MichiganInsider.com, Michigan.247sports.com. But, but as of right now, the only, the only thing up in the air seems to be the, the draft decisions. And I think, I think both have a compelling case to return. I think you and I outlined why maybe Houston's is a little bit more compelling than, than Moose Diabate's, but same time, stay tuned at that. For Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. We'll see you next time. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found.